Chapter 22, verse 1. So what's interesting about this, too, is this is basically Psalm 18. And interestingly enough, when I was told that I was going to teach tonight, I have my first worship record is actually based off Psalm 18. Psalm 18.2 says the Lord is a fortress, and the, the record's actually called Fortress. And a lot of the songs on that album are written from Psalm 18. So Psalm 18 is the song that David sings, and it's basically, there's a few variations, but for the most part, we're actually really going to be reading Psalm 18 in 2 Samuel 22. All right, so it says in verse 1, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. David's song immediately echoes Hannah's prayer. And David, in so many words, is saying, God is my hiding place, my refuge, my safe place, right? He's my rescue. In the midst of all the things that David's gone through, God has remained his safe refuge. And notice that David uses personal language as he speaks. He doesn't say God is a refuge. He says God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my fortress, the fortress for my soul. Those are promises that you can cling to tonight as well, church. That God is a refuge for you. He's a safe place for you. It, just, it isn't just King David. He is your refuge and your strength. When you call on his name, he is faithful to answer your call. And that's something that encourages me. Because so often, we know the promises of God, but then when the trial comes, when the waves come, when you're falling off the board, like I do when I try to surf, and things get frustrating or difficult, we forget those promises that we've been given. And sometimes we even forget how faithful God has been. God has proven himself. How many times has God proven himself? More than we can count, right? Always he proves himself faithful. And it seems like, more often than not, we doubt him in some way, shape, or form. Now imagine a relationship like that with somebody that you know. Imagine that you've literally never failed them. Let's just say, for the sake of the example, that you've been perfect in the situation, and you've never failed that person. But yet, almost every time something goes wrong, that person thinks that you're going to fail them. And it's like you have to constantly earn trust with that person, and it seems almost impossible. Sometimes that's how we treat God. And wouldn't that be a frustrating relationship to be in? And even more so, don't you think that you'd be tempted to say, I am so done with you. I don't even want a relationship with you. Why would I want a relationship with you? You're a ter terrible person to have a relationship with. But yet God doesn't do that. He stays faithful to David and to you and me. Even when I doubt him constantly and I question him and I, I do stupid things. Am I the only one in the room who does stupid things? Perfect. Okay. Then I'm probably not the one who should be up here. So if one of you wants to come up and teach. No, but, but isn't it amazing how faithful our God is? So my question to you is, do you claim those promises tonight? Do you claim them as your own? Or are they more something that you read in Scripture and you think, oh, that's nice, 
but it's distant from your heart. Because they are your promises to claim. And I want to point out something else. The, the dust is settling here, and David turns back to praise God. Sometimes I think we seek the Lord on something, and when he finally gives it to us, we forget to turn back. I think of Luke chapter 17, when Jesus heals the lepers. How many lepers came back? One leper came back and thanked Jesus for what he had done. And my fear is that sometimes that can be the way we operate. Is we, we sometimes, our prayer life is like a grocery list before God. And we say, Lord, I need you to do this and this and this. Oh, and this, and you really need to teach this person humility. And it'd be really good if you taught them to control their mouth. And, and we bring this, this list to God and very little thanksgiving. And that's really the whole point of coming together as a church, right? Like we're here tonight because we want to thank God. We want to recognize who he is. We adore him for what he's done for us. That's what worship through music is. It, it's, it's an adoration and a thanksgiving and an outpouring of and a recognition and saying, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that we can even be here tonight, that we get to sit in these comfy seats and stand and sing. And the musicians aren't half bad. And it's better when Shane's not up there. But man, thank you, Lord. Hey, and shout out to Caleb. Didn't he do a great job tonight? He sang for the first time. So good. And I'm, I'm encouraged because that's why we're here, church. We're here to give praise and thanks. And David turns back and he says, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to me through all of these things. But an important thing to remember is that David didn't praise just in the good times. If you read through the Psalms, there's a lot of times where David starts off and it almost sounds like he's angry at God. Like, what are you doing? Lord, you're so far from me. And then you turn, to, turn the page and he's like, God, you're so good. David, David makes me feel better about myself sometimes. Because sometimes I'm like in church on Sunday morning and I'm like, God, you're so good. Hallelujah for the cross. Thank you, Jesus. And on Monday morning, I'm like, you idiot. This guy cuts me off, right? And, and all of a sudden, praise is not flowing anymore. And sometimes that's how we can be. But David... I, I notice a trend in those psalms because I love the psalms. And even when David begins almost distraught and confused, where does he always land? But Lord, you're good. Thank you, Lord. And it always comes back to remembering God's goodness and his faithfulness. So 22 verse 5, let's keep reading. It says, and by the way, there's no way we're going to get through all 51 verses, so don't worry. Verse 5 says, For the waves of death encompassed me, and the torrents of destruction assailed me. And you, a lot of scholars would say that this is a messianic psalm, and this points to the suffering of the Messiah before he went to the cross. Verse 6 says, The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. For from his temple, and the word there for temple could be translated heaven, so from heaven he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. David had real enemies. Probably scarier enemies than you and I may ever face in this life. Because there were literally multiple times where people wanted David dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't, as far as I know, no one has ever wanted me dead and then acted upon that desire. 
But this was like a regular thing in David's life. Like people wanted David dead. And if you didn't notice, there seems to be a trend all throughout history where when God anoints somebody and appoints them and puts them in a position, all of a sudden everybody wants them dead. And if you didn't notice in your own life, when you get more serious about Christ, people start to like you a little less. And I heard Greg Laurie give a great example of this. Imagine you're at the movies. It's nice and dark. And there's that one guy that turns on his cell phone, and he's got the brightness all the way up, right? And in that nice, dark atmosphere, you're trying to enjoy your popcorn and your movie, that bright phone light, though in the daytime seems pretty insignificant, is so glaring and annoying in the midst of a dark setting. And that is how you are, Christian, to the non-believing group. You're like this annoying light that they can't get rid of. And it's a good thing. Because that light brings life. Because that light is Christ in you, shining through you. So keep shining. But he had real enemies. I think sometimes it's good to read these accounts just because it puts our problems in perspective. Because sometimes my problems really aren't much of a problem at all. David fought Goliath in the Philistine army. King Saul wanted him dead and chased him around. David was living like a hobo in caves on the run. Constantly looking over his shoulder and wondering if that day could be his last. And even when David was given an opportunity, do you remember, to kill Saul? What did David say? I'm not going to do it because he's the Lord's anointed. Are you kidding me? Come on. If, if you had a guy chasing you down and you're in David's shoes and you have that opportunity, what would you do? I would have probably jumped on that opportunity. And that would have been wrong. And then even more recently, Absalom and the whole revolt that happened in the rebellion and David almost losing the throne and then having to grieve the loss of his own son because once again, God preserved David. God continually rescues David. Have you ever thought about the things that God has rescued you from in your life? Or even right now, think about where you'd be tonight without Jesus. I would not be standing here talking to you guys. And I think we could all say we wouldn't be sitting in the seats tonight if it wasn't for Christ and his grace and his hand on our life. And David remains on the throne because of God's faithfulness. Yes, David was faithful, but David was flawed. And so it's amazing to see that God preserves him and keeps faithful to his promises and stays true. And sometimes when we gather at times like this, it's hard to remember everything God's done for us. We lose sight of his goodness and his worth. But when we sit and we ponder all that God has done for us, how can we not sing with David, worthy to be praised is our God? And even though we have not faced maybe some of the trials that David's faced, we can also relate because we understand what it's like to be persecuted in some way, shape, or form, or to go through trial, to lose a loved one. And so the things that David's gone through, we can relate to, though they're different. And David's testimony 
is I cried to the Lord, and he heard my cry, and he rescued me. Verse 8, as we keep reading, it says, The earth reeled and rocked, and the foundations of heaven trembled and quaked, because he, God, was angry. And smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. And he bowed the heavens, and he came down, and thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, and he was seen on the wings of the wind. Verse 12, he made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds a gathering of water. And out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. And the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. Now, like I said, many scholars believe that this is a messianic psalm. And there seems to be a correlation between God being upset and the sky growing dark. For instance, if we think of the crucifixion, right? Turn with me to Mark, chapter 15. Mark, chapter 15. And go to verse 32. And we find ourselves in the scene of the crucifixion. And these are the last moments of Jesus' life on the cross. And verse 32 of Mark 15 says, As people yelled at him, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, so that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him berated him. 33 From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sky grew dark as Jesus suffered and breathed his last on the cross. And God is faithful even in that moment. In fact, this is one of the most faithful moments in all of history because the work that could never have been done by man was done through Jesus and his obedience to the Father. And if you, you know, we went through Revelation recently, there's all sorts of times where the sky grows dark and eventually the sun will just be gone. How many of you are scared of the dark? Like if you're in a room and it's dark and you're by yourself, it freaks you out. One, one honest person here. Okay, sometimes I'm locking up this building at night, and I'll be like the last one here. You know, Pastor Mike will be like, you know, nose goes, he'll leave me, and no, I'm just kidding. Usually Mike's the one who's, Mike is faithful locking up this building all the time, but sometimes I have to lock up the building by myself. And I was talking to Matthew, our youth director, about this, and Matthew's like a pretty big guy, you know, he's a burly guy, and the other day I was in here, and Matthew was in his office, and he's kind of jamming out some music on his laptop, and I, I was still, you know, he was here working by himself, and I came up the stairs, and I, I filmed it. I won't show you, because I don't want to embarrass him too much, but I kind of just turned a corner, and I was like, Matthew! And I got, like, this big, burly guy with his beard and stuff, and he was like, <gasps> you know, he's like a little kid, you know? It was so good. But he told me, I was already freaked out, because I knew I was here by myself, and, you know, I had another time where a girl... Uh, children's ministry director dropped off her daughter and I came out of the restroom and I saw something on the security cameras moving up here in the classroom and I'm like oh geez because I and no, she got dropped off so there's no cars in the parking lot and so I'm I first I checked the parking lot and I'm kind of looking around and I'm like 
okay, I don't think anybody's here. I think somebody broke into the building. And since the alarm's not on, I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. So I go up there, and I, I turn a corner, and it's Sarah Baber. If you know Sarah Baber, Sarah's loud. And so Sarah lets out this gnarly scream, and I'm, like, screaming like a girl. And I didn't scream like a girl, but that's, you know. <clears throat> no, but so darkness sometimes is scary. And you know what else is more scary? God's anger. But God gets angry for a reason. And in this particular account back in, we can turn back to 2 Samuel, God's angry because the man that he's anointed, God's king, people keep messing with him. They keep doing stupid things. And God has to do all these things to preserve his king because Keep this in mind, too, as we read about and think about David's trials. David has to stay alive because David's preserving that line. And it's all for you. Because if Jesus doesn't come, we have no hope. And so it's amazing to think about that, to think about the fact that God is preserving these men throughout history for me. He's preserving them for me because... He knows that I need Jesus to die on the cross because I can never pay for my sins. I could never do enough to earn his favor. Amen? And so God is faithful not just to David in these accounts as we read. He's being faithful to you and me sitting in this room right now. 3,000 years earlier, Jesus is, is on the rise. The Messiah is coming, and it's for me. It's so that I could have eternal life. And so... I say, you know, we can hold on to these promises that David sings about in this, in this account as our own, and I mean it, because it, God's faithfulness is to us as his people. Verse 15 of Samuel 22. It says, And he sent out arrows and scattered them, them here being David's enemies, lightning and routed them. And then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare, and at the rebuke of the Lord, and at the blast and the breath of his nostrils. My dad always used this example of like baseball players at the plate. You know, you, you, you don't exactly have like, you know, tissues with you at the plate on a pro game. And they have no shame on national TV, just, <laughs> and I think of, I, I don't think so much of a baseball player, you know, clearing his nose, though that is humorous, at least for me. Sorry if it grosses you out. But I think of almost like a sigh of, you know when you're frustrated and you kind of just, that's almost what I, I, I see the Lord doing when it says at the breath. Because it's almost like he doesn't even need to do anything. He's just so powerful and so mighty that just him being like, just wrecks the earth. Just like, that's it. That's all it took. And oceans are uplifting, and the sky is growing dark, and lightning and thunder, because God just... That's how powerful our God is. Now, whether that's actually what happened, I don't know. But it's a neat thought. In the midst of whatever trial you're in right now, God is greater. And I love how commentator John Woodhouse says it. He says, David was aware that this experience of calling out to God in his distress 
And his cry coming to the Lord's ears was earth-shattering in its significance. Because the God on whom he called is greater, yes, far greater than the forces that threaten to destroy him. I love that. David knew that when his cry hit the ears of our God, it was earth-shattering. Did you know that when the church prays, it's earth-shattering? Did you know that that still applies today, that when you pray, when you make your request known to God, when the church comes together and prays, mountains can be moved and the earth can be shook? Because God is still on the move, and he still hears the cry of his people. And tonight, no matter what you're facing, God is greater than the forces that are coming at you. Even if those forces are far bigger than you, And we've talked about this before in this room many times, that there's this misconception in the church sometimes and amongst Christians that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And to that I say, (laughs) just to be a Christ follower, to take the name Christian is more than you can handle. (laughs) To say you are a Christian and to actually want to live that out is more than you can handle, friend. I cannot be a Christian on my own strength. I can't be a Christ follower on my own. God always gives us more than we can handle so that we will rely on him. And that was very true of David's life. God remained faithful and David would turn to the Lord even sometimes when it took him way too long. And God's angered by the situation of David's enemies rising up against him because God's anointed is being threatened. You know, I think people are often... They, they have a hard time thinking about God being angry. And sometimes, you know, I've had conversations where people will even object. Or Remember years ago when, when Oprah said that she didn't want to be a Christian because she didn't want to serve a God that was jealous. Totally taking the verse out of context, and she needed to sit down with somebody who was well-versed in Scripture, and it would have been cleared up in five minutes. But sometimes we, we, we don't like to think of God as angry. But see, the thing is, It could be one of the most wonderful things about our God. Because his anger is not the anger of man. It's a perfect and a righteous anger. I don't totally understand it, but it's good news that God gets angry about things like violence, hatred, shedding of innocent blood, starvation, cruelty, racism. I'm glad that I serve a king who cares about those things enough that he gets mad about them. And Woodhouse, in that commentary, he says, would you rather God not care and not get angry? Doesn't it make you mad when you're like in a situation where something happens? Let's say, you know, you're so angry about something and the the person next to you could kind of care less. And you're like, why aren't you mad about this? You should be mad, right? Like if you're watching the World Series last year and I had a friend that was a Dodgers fan, okay? This guy didn't even care that they lost the game. And I'm like fighting tears. You know, I thought for the first time in my 24 and a half years of living, I was going to see the Dodgers win the World Series because it's never happened in my lifetime. And they lost. And this guy was kind of indifferent about it. And I said to him, I thought you were a fan. Why aren't you mad? And you could say that about these situations. And I would challenge you tonight, church, when you see injustice and when you see things that God says are an abomination, does it make you angry? Do you get angry or are you sort of, hmm? about it. Because God says there's such thing as righteous anger. And that's exactly what we see is 
as a characteristic of our, our God in this section is that God was full of a righteous anger for what was happening to David. And notice that when David calls upon the Lord, the Lord doesn't just hear David. The Lord hears David and then he does something. We serve a God of action, a God who, who puts feet to what he says he's going to do, back to his faithfulness, right? God does what he says he will do over and over again. Verse 17, it says, He sent from on high, and he took me, and he drew me out of many waters, and he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. So David there, he recognizes in verse 18, they were too mighty for me, but not for my God. Verse 19 says, They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into the broad place, or you could say the safe place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. God rescues us because he delights in his children. As a parent will run in front of a moving vehicle to save their son or daughter because they love, they love, they love, they love, love their son and their daughter. That's the type of love that God has for his children. And ultimately, that is shown at the cross, right? That Jesus was willing to take on death and brutal suffering because he loved us. Now, in verse 17, when David writes, he drew me out of many waters, I wanted to point something out. I thought this was interesting. The only other time in Scripture where that word right there, that verb for drew out is used you know where it's used? It's used when Moses is a baby. Do you remember the, the story? Pharaoh, in his stupidity and anger and jealousy, and I believe led by Satan, makes this decree that these children should be slaughtered. And so Moses' mother, again, we're talking about God preserving people, puts him in the Nile and, you know, it's funny. My wife was the other night just watching uh, on Netflix um, The Prince of Egypt. Remember the, the DreamWorks movie that they put out years ago when I was a kid? And uh, it's about Moses. It's actually pretty good. And in the movie, they show Moses going through all these raging waters and, you know, boats are hitting the little basket that he's in. And it's totally unrealistic, you know. But, but it's still creative, right? And he ends up at the the water right there, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And, you know, she gave him the name Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And Moses was rescued out of the waters of the Nile and would go on to lead the people of Israel. David was rescued from the hand of his enemies, pulled out of many dangerous waters. And God protects his people and he preserves them. And God knew that David was was who he was going to use to continue to lead Israel at this time. So God sustained him. And David knew that he had survived because the hand of God was on his life. Now David was smart, right? He was pretty cunning. He had a brilliant mind for military strategy. You know, it's hard to really know exactly where in history this is pinned, but we would like to, we'd probably venture to say that David's older now, and he's, he's pretty seasoned in war. So David, David's a pretty bright guy. He's strong, 
understands war, understands how to lead people. But despite all his abilities and his strengths, he still knows that it's because of God. Like he says back in verse 19, that the Lord was his support. And in verse 18, he says, remember, they were too mighty for him, but they were not too mighty for God. I think this is a good lesson for all of us. That no matter how skilled we think we are, or wise, or cunning, we have to rely on God. I often tell the, the band on Sunday mornings, you know, it doesn't matter how prepared we are. On our best day, God has to work in spite of us. Because if we just come out on stage and we play music, that's cool. I love music. But music in and of itself is not why we're here. And I, I often will tell the band, look, we could be totally prepared. We could, be, we could feel really good. And those are usually the days that God will humble us and something terrible will happen on stage. And you all laugh at us. It's great. <laughs> it's great after. In the midst of it, we're all like dying on stage, you know. But we will always pale in comparison to God's greatness. Let me ask you this. Tonight, if, if I were to ask you, what would you be without Jesus? And you know, don't answer this out loud. Just, I want you to think about this. If somebody asked you, why do you need Jesus? What would you tell them? Because you know what I would tell them? Because I literally have nothing good to offer. I'm literally nothing without Jesus. David had come to a point in his life where he had tried to do it on his own and he'd failed. And then he tried to do it on his own again and he failed. And then he tried to do halfway with God, halfway on his own, and he failed. And he'd come to a place where he said, Lord, you have to be everything because I can't do anything good on my own. And I fear that maybe a large reason that we have a lot of the problems that we have today in our church culture is because we have a lot of Christians that aren't at that place. They haven't come to a place where they've said, I need God 100% all the time or I will fail and I can't do anything good on my own. Every time I try to do something in my life and I don't seek God's counsel and I kind of just try to do it on my own, you know how well it goes? Not, not very well. And I don't mean to like over-spiritualize your life like, Lord, do I buy this rotisserie chicken or this one? No, that's not what I mean. I mean that when you go to make a decision that has some significance, seek God on that, that decision. Seek Him. And I don't, I don't, in my experience, I've never had like a, this audible voice say, Shane, pick that chicken. Like, no, that's never happened to me in my life. But I feel like God will strengthen you in your decision when you made it in faith. And how's the only way that we please God? Through faith. Right, church? And David had to have a lot of faith throughout his life because he continually found himself in situations that were far beyond him. Let's look at verse 21. Now it says that the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. 
And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness in his sight, to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful you have shown mercy, and with the blameless you have shown yourself blameless. With the purified you deal purely, and with the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are a lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against the troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. That's the type of faith that David had in God. And like I said earlier, David's not speaking. In some of these, he's speaking figuratively, but think about David's life. In a lot of these, he's literally lived out these situations. And in Scripture, who is it in the Old Testament he takes a jawbone and he's able to take down how many men with just the jawbone of a donkey? Literally, that guy ran against a troop on his own. <laughs> that's, the, that's the strength that God supplies his people. The strength to do things that are miracles. They're supernatural. The fact that David is alive to write these words is a miracle. When you look at the occurrences in his life. And look at verse 28. It says, you save, what kind of a person? Do you, save, you save a prideful person? No, it says you save a, anybody? A humble person. And then it notice it in the, the second part of verse 28. It says, but your eyes are on the haughty or the prideful person. For what reason? To bring them down. Has God ever humbled you before? Humbled me a lot. And he does that because he's working on you. He's shaping you and he's molding you. Now, upon reading this section, if you look back at the beginning of this section, in verse 21, David says, According to my righteousness. Now, we can ask the question who does David think he is here? Right? He says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, or. It says, you know, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and I have not wickedly departed. Is David somehow claiming that God owed him because David was faithful to God? Because if you kind of just read that verse on your own, it would be a little puzzling. Like, now hold on, David. Like, what do you mean because you were righteous, God preserved you? Well, I love how Woodhouse puts this. He says, so, so quaint and, and gentle, he says, the Bible writer who placed this song of David at this point in history, was not an idiot. He knew that, he that we would read this. Wow, that is very loud. It's amazing. He says, He knew that we would read this after we had read the full and frank accounts of David's faults. And he knew that this song would be read by people who knew very well that David was an adulterer and a murderer, among other things. No one reading David's words in their context in the books of Samuel could possibly just take them at face value. We have to ask, how is it possible for an adulterer and a murderer and the rest to speak as David spoke in verses 21 through 25? This is a question that the Bible writer himself has forced upon us. I love that. And a lot of scholars and historians would say that these books, you know, Samuel dies in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So they think that 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are written by Nathan, the prophet, and probably Gad. And those are our best guess. We don't know for sure 
who authors that part of these books. But there's a challenge almost put there. Now, I don't think we can just explain this away by saying, well, what David's saying is that at least when he sinned, he repented. And, you know, he never really turned away from God. You know, he had his moments, but I don't think that's what David is saying either. I think it's hard for us to understand what David's saying here because when we read the accounts in these, in these scriptures, we naturally pin David's sin to David's name. And unfortunately for David, he's kind of gotten a bad rap, right? Like most Christians, if they know anything about David, they know that he probably fought Goliath and he took another man's wife and had the guy murdered. It's kind of a rough rap sheet, right? Like, would you agree? Like, that's a rough reputation. So we read this and we pin those sins on David. But David understood that he was clean because of what God has done. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Ten chapters back. Chapter 12 and go to verse 13. Chapter 12 verse 13 says this. Now, this is after Nathan comes and rebukes David. Remember, David goes through this whole thing where he's, Nathan gives a, a story to, to explain the situation. And what does David do in his self-righteous anger? He says, that man should, should die for what he's done. And Nathan says, David, you are that man who's committed this heinous crime. It's you. You've taken another man's wife and you've had him murdered to try to cover it up. And at the end of all of this, in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, this is the most one of the most incredible verses. To think about what David has just done, Nathan the prophet, speaking on behalf of our God, says to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. God chose to forget David's sin. He chose to do that. He was not obligated, and the same thing applies to you tonight. That when Jesus died on the cross, there was no obligation that held him to that cross. He did it purely because he was obedient to the Father, and he loved you enough to do it. There was no obligation in what Jesus did other than obedience to his Father. He didn't deserve to die you deserve to die. I deserve to die. But he stayed on that cross. He could have called down all of the angels and it could have been a glorious scene, but he didn't do it because he loved you. That's why he stayed on the cross. I've often heard pastors say that nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. His love for you held him to the cross because he made a choice to forget your sin and to say, I'm going to bear the weight of everything wrong that you've done, that you, your siblings growing up, you know all the things they did wrong, right? And on that cross, Jesus stayed faithful to you and me because he loved us. He rescued us because he loved us. You can turn back to chapter 22. See, David could look at his life without referring to his sin because he believed that God had done what Nathan said God would do, the Lord had put away his sin. God chose to forget his sin. 
If you think tonight that you've done something that you cannot be forgiven for, you are wrong. There is no sin that is, that is bigger than Jesus at the cross. In fact, to say so is to question the finished work of the cross, and that's wrong in and of itself. There is no thing that you can do in this life that will separate you. If you turn and you say, Lord, I need you, like we sang earlier, and you confess that before God, he is faithful and just to forgive you every single time. Even though you don't deserve it, you couldn't earn it, still he gave himself away. And that's why we sing that song, Reckless Love. Because it was a reckless love. It didn't make sense. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't have earned it. But he gave himself away because he loved Just like David can say, looking at his life, that he doesn't have to refer back to all the sins of his past, you can say that tonight too. When God looks at you, he chooses to forget the wrongs that you've committed. And if you just stop and you think for a moment about everything you've done wrong, there's a lot to forget. And God chooses to forget it. Because he's faithful. He always follows through on his promises. He gives strength to those who seek him. He hears the prayers of the broken and he knows the sorrow of the weak. He hears the cry of the humble servant. And tonight, if you are broken and if you're tired and you're weary, he hears you and he knows your cry. Church, if you think that when we come together like this, everybody in this room is doing okay, you're fooling yourself. Because I think if we took a poll or a survey on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and we asked everybody how they were doing, a lot of people probably feel like David in his lowest moments. Beat down. But this psalm is a psalm of victory. It's called a song of deliverance. Because despite everything, God rescued David. And you know, the rescuing sometimes doesn't come when we want it to come. And that can be the hardest part about this life. Wouldn't it be nice if every time something even started to go wrong, God just pulled us right out of that situation? That'd be great. But I can submit to you that you'd be far weaker than you are. You know, if you take, I love physical fitness, even though it may not look like it. I played sports my whole life. And uh, for a while, I thought about doing like a kinesiology major because I, I thought it'd be really cool to be like a physical trainer and like teach people lifting weights and, you know, taking care of their body and helping people with weight loss. I, I love that kind of stuff. Still love it. Um, but I decided to study theology instead. It worked out okay, I guess. Um, but God got a hold of my life when I was in high school and, you know, took me really, I, I was a Christian from a young age, but there was a moment in, in high school where I really said, okay, this is the direction I'm going to go. And I had, before that, really focused on baseball, and, and I really wanted to play, uh, play pro baseball. That was kind of really my goal. And, uh, you know, it's always funny because we had moments, baseball players aren't like big weightlifters. Uh, and so I remember it's the funniest thing, like when you take a guy who's never lifted weights before at all, you have all sorts of stabilizing muscles throughout your body. And like, you know, if you take your pectorials, for instance, like your chest muscles, there's all these little muscles inside there that help stabilize things, like a bench press bar. So you could take a guy who's pretty strong, but if he's never lifted any weights, 
holding that bar steady is quite a challenge. So we would take guys that, you know, they think they're pretty macho, you know, and you put them on a bench press, they've never bench pressed before, and the, the bar looks like this. You know, and all those little stabilizing muscles are firing for the first time in their life, and they're screaming. And that bar, though it's not that much weight, and it's pretty humiliating too, because you might put like 25 pounds on each side, and then the guy jumps up there, and he's like, this is cake, bro. And he jumps up there, and his arms look like little girl arms, you know, because he's shaking. Because those muscles have never been conditioned, because they've never been put under pressure. And in your life, if you're not put under any pressure, you can't grow. And sometimes God allows us to go through the trials because he knows that there is benefits in those trials. Even though sometimes it just stinks. And man, sometimes it really does stink. It hurts. But God prunes us and he shapes us. Like the old story of the blacksmith who takes the sword and he puts it under the fire and he beats it with a hammer to shape that metal and to bend it, but it has to be scalding hot and hit very hard. And sometimes God puts me over that fire and he hits me really hard. And it's good because it strengthens me. And he does that through David's life. But it is amazing to think that God chose to forget what David had done. It says that he put it away. There's a song years ago from, you guys remember Audio Adrenaline? Years ago they had a song and the chorus said that you know, our sins are like stones thrown into the deepest part of the ocean. And that's what God does with our sin. If you confess it, he is faithful to forgive it. Rick Warren said, any good lifeguard knows that a person cannot be saved until they stop trying to save themselves. God does the same thing with us. We spend so much time trying to save ourselves from situations. But if a lifeguard goes in prematurely and a person is still struggling greatly, they will not only drown themselves, they will also drown the lifeguard. Because no matter how physically fit you are, you can only sustain swimming and holding the weight of another person, especially when that person is struggling and fighting you for so long before you both are going to die. And so I love how Rick Warren says that. He says the best lifeguards know they have to wait until the person stops struggling so that they can actually save their life. Are you struggling tonight? And is God almost, I picture God almost like in the water on his buoy, like, hey, are you going to chill now so I can help you out? Because uh, we've been doing this a while. <laughs> It'd be nice if you could just calm down. Sometimes we need to just calm down and stop trying to save ourselves. Like I said, David had gotten to a point in his life where he said, enough is enough. I have to rely on God. And there are so many moments where David probably should have died, but because he turned and he cried out to the Lord, he was, he was saved. And even more amazing, even in the moments where David failed, God stayed faithful because he stays faithful always. The final verse of this section we're going through tonight, verse 31 says, This God, his way is perfect. And the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. 
God rescues his people. You know, the picture behind me tonight is a life preserver on a boat. And so often I feel like that thing is something God is throwing at me while I'm drowning. And I believe it was the author of It Is Well or Amazing Grace, one of those songs, who was actually harpooned and reeled in as he was drowning in the ocean. And sometimes God's rescuing hurts a little bit. But like we've been talking about all night, he does what he knows is necessary to grow his children, to save his children. And this is a song of victory, a song of deliverance. And peace has finally come for Israel. Their enemies have been beaten back, and David turns back and he praises God for his faithfulness. And so I think a cool way to kind of wrap up, we're going to close in a song, but can you turn with somebody next to you, maybe a group of three or four, and I know that there's a lot of needs in this room tonight, and I don't want to ignore them, but can we get into groups for a moment and pray, and let's do this, let's thank God for the things he's done for us. Because I'm sure that the list is quite long if we just stop and think for a moment. So let's take a moment, let's lift up Thanksgiving in this place, and then we'll close with a song. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. Thank you that we can look to the life of David and be encouraged because we know as broken as David could be, he was restored fully in your name. And the same thing can be said of our lives, God, that we can be restored 100% in your name. And I pray for the, the saint tonight, Lord, that might be drowning a little bit and they keep struggling that they would relax and let you swoop in and save them. Lord, I pray that if we've been struggling in certain areas, God, that we would confess those things tonight, that we would be restored in those things tonight, that we would be made new, because as your scripture says, you are making all things new, including your children. And so, Lord, as we take a moment to just, with gratitude, come before you and thank you for everything you've done for us, God. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Jesus, for the cross. As we sang earlier, hallelujah for the cross. Because we were prisoners and now we are not. We have been set free. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns void. And Lord, I do pray that if anything tonight has not been from you, it would be quickly forgotten. And whatever has been from you, God, may we, may we hold on to it tight. And Lord, I pray for even these people tonight as, as they go out into many different lives, many different workplaces and struggles and difficulties, God, that they would trust you, that they would lean on you as David did when he faced trials in his life, God. So we pray that you would be pleased with what happens here tonight, God, and we thank you for all that you've done.